Hello and welcome back to the Replatform podcast. Um, today it's just me, Paul, James is in a meeting, um, but I'm delighted to be joined by Brad. I'll let him introduce himself in a second. Um, just to introduce our sponsors, so we're sponsored by Ampliance, which is a market-leading headless CMS solution, and Klaviyo, which is a vastly popular SMS and email marketing platform. Um, so to get started, Brad, if you can maybe give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and also Alibaba. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, my name is Brad, like Paul mentioned, founder and CEO of Elevar. And we do two things primarily for Shopify brands. Number one, we ensure that each one of their analytics and marketing channel platforms receive nearly 100% of their conversion data. And number two, we ensure that each conversion or event across our site has the maximum amount of user associated data that can be used in attribution and audience management, et cetera. So that's uh, a little bit on Elevar, and uh, I'm sure we'll get a little bit more into the weeds today on conversion tracking in general. Lovely. And uh, I've known Brad for a number of years and can definitely recommend Alibar. We've used him on loads of projects. Um, and also, I realized I didn't introduce the topic. So today's topic is basically just looking at modern day tracking, new best practices. And Brad and I are just going to talk about all of the changes to privacy, cookies, um, GA4 and everything else. Um, yeah. So first question, Brad. So can you maybe, in fact, it's not really a question, but can you summarize everything that's happening around cookie-based tracking initially. So just to kind of set the scene, there's obviously been loads of changes here. So can you maybe just give us a bit of an overview on kind of what's happening in the industry at the moment? Uh, summarizing in a, a succinct manner will be difficult with everything that's going on. But yeah, I mean, in, in general, there's a couple, there's many things happening. Number one is you have the different app providers. I think this is the easy one, the iOS, where Apple is restricted sharing device data. So when it comes to, if you just talk about Facebook or TikTok or Snapchat, any other app that's on iOS or Android devices, generally the when, it, when a user is browsing uh, a brand site, that brand and ultimately Facebook is helping connect the session to the user through your standard pixel data. So things that you would go to your pixel helper and view different events and the different data that's sent with that event, uh, with that activity back to Facebook. But then it was the device data. So it'd be the essentially trying to really get down to, I know that this is on video. So it's like the data that's associated to that device and sharing that back to Facebook. That way Facebook could just do a better job of ultimately matching that activity and the click to the conversion. So that's a big one. I, again, I think that one's probably been talked, uh, that horses has been beaten to death over the last couple of years or last year with that. When it comes to cookies and just tracking in general. So the I'll just do a little bit of a history and how trackers have worked. So if you go back to like the web one, web two, as we transition web two days, the way that tracking essentially worked is, again, all of these marketing platforms, they would give you a, a script like, hey, Paul, you if you want to implement tracking for Facebook or TikTok, here's a piece of JavaScript and install it on your site. And essentially what that script is doing, it is ultimately enabling an image. So there's a little image that's loading on your site. And then that image is actually help, it's, part of that process is grabbing information within your browser. So it's grabbing your IP address, your device, your uh, user agent, all this like quote unquote hidden information that can help the ultimate platform identify Paul, your family household by doing that geo-targeting type of, of matching of again, IP addresses, user, user agents trying to ultimately geofence you. So there's a lot of hidden data that's implicit that you don't necessarily see coming through a, the piece of JavaScript or the pixel helpers, et cetera, you're not seeing that 
you know, IP address that's coming through. And then with the cookie, so generally what a cookie is going to do in, in these scripts when you install them on your site, again, they are trying to do that work of identifying you, but they're also setting and storing data within your browser. So for example, think about Facebook, they have two cookies that they're generally setting and that cookie is going to help identify who you are, the ad that you clicked on, and then ultimately start tracking your behavior on the site you're visiting, but also other sites that you visit throughout the web. And that's where you can start getting into, you go to weather.com or you go to some of these other other sites where they might have data sharing is you'll start to see that more personalized remarketing activity that's happening because there these different platforms are sharing data. So I'll, I'll just pause there to see if that, again, it's kind of like three different pieces of it. You have the cookie. So the cookie that's being set that help you cross like cross script or cross site track. You have the invisible data, which comes from that little image pixel on the site. And then ultimately you have uh, more of that explicit data. Great. Um, I think you've done well to keep it that succinct and not um, kind of go into some of the <laughs> other areas. I think that's what I would have done. Um, and I guess moving on to the solutions or kind of what people are doing to get around this kind of demise of cookies. So can you maybe just give us an introduction to server-side tracking and also kind of where tracking is going and what some of the kind of yeah solutions are around some of this stuff? Yeah, so the, the big thing is you'd see where you have the death of the third-party cookie, which most browsers except Chrome have gone that way, but Chrome is going that way as well. And essentially the difference if the difference between a first-party cookie and a third-party cookie is a third-party cookie would be set if you're on, I don't know, rothys.com and you look at a cookie, if that cookie is set to snapchat.com or facebook.com, that would be considered a third-party cookie. If, that, if a cookie, even if it's set by one of these trackers, but it's set on rothys.com, then that would be considered a first-party cookie, but it's ultimately created by a third party, which that has limitations as well. So that was essentially a first thing, the first quote-unquote hack that, that some platforms were doing a couple of years ago to try to get ahead of this, especially as the initial um, ITP, so the intelligent tracking prevention that Apple rolled out in Safari, but trying to get around that, so just essentially moving a third party to the primary domain. And then they're starting to do things like hacking around your domain. So doing what's called cloaking, uh, which again, is too technical to get into, but people are trying these different hacks and essentially they, all of all the hacks they were being patched is almost faster than what they, what the different platforms can come up to. So whether it's ad blockers or the actual different privacy, um, uh, the folks push, pushing privacy, so obviously Safari and Apple are one of the big ones. They're essentially just patching all of these hacks that are p- being put out there. So the the next fallback, where where if you think about this is big in affiliates, which we see with a lot of our customers, is okay if the you if a cookie essentially can't be trusted, then they're going to fall back on the inv- quote unquote invisible data. So again, this goes back to here's a script installed on your site because we are going to collect a bunch of data that we're not going to tell you what we're going to collect. It's in our magical fingerprinting, i.e. like IP address, user agent, other aspects that are automatically captured in the browser. They're going to send that data back to the platform. And then the platform is going to do their own magic again, without getting into too many specifics, but they're going to do their own magic to try to map that activity back to you, Paul versus relying on a cookie. So that's where, that's essentially what a lot of platforms are doing now. And as we've seen with iOS 15, 
if you just look at what Apple's done, where now they're obfuscating IP addresses. So if you are again opted out and there are certain conditions within your device, when you were when you go to a website, they're no longer going to see your IP address. It's going to be essentially a masked IP address that Apple automatically creates. And that is going to start limiting the ability to again target and match back by by IP address. And same thing with emails too. So the hide my email, where if you are logging into a or opting into an email newsletter, instead of the brand getting your Paul email, it's going to be you know some random Apple mail string. So with, but I'll just pause there before I start getting into server side tracking and where we're seeing some platforms start to transition to this because. Frankly, they have to. So I'll pause there just to see if you have any questions. No, I think that's fine. I think maybe, yeah, if you just start, maybe just start by introducing server-side tracking as a principle and then maybe move on to kind of how some of the platforms and networks are starting to adapt to it. Yeah. So with server-side tracking, when we, so Facebook used to have a technical marketing partner program, which they sunset last year, but we were in that program. What they started telling us a couple of years ago was, hey, we... We know based on the pixel data that we have, we are only getting 80% of signal. And signal to them, when they say signal, that's essentially activity on the site and ultimately some of that advanced matching data to a user. So they can essentially apply that back and into their ads manager reporting and start calculating in their ROAS, et cetera. So if they knew and they saw this was with just their trends, and you probably saw this with some of your customers, but just a year-over-year analysis, um, forgive me with the COVID years, but I think if you were to look at like 20, 2020 versus 2019, you would see essentially the business is doing better, the conversion rate's higher, revenue per visitor is higher, but my reported ROAS and or what other metric you use in Facebook is lower, even though everything else is higher. So what Facebook explained to us was, Essentially, that's just because we're not getting, we're missing 20% of the data. So we can't attribute back to the, the click. So that's where they were really big into starting to push the conversion API, so much so where they were paying. So if you were a, a brand spending enough, Facebook would pay in some Elevar or other, other technology providers to implement the conversion API for you because people were pulling budget. So less signal, so they're reporting lower performance and brand thinks, shit, I need to move this money, go spend it somewhere else. So they, Facebook was trying to head that on and they were really the, the biggest platform, the, the largest platform doing that first. So the conversion API or server-side tracking, essentially what that is, again, it's, it's sound, I, don't, I, I don't wanna make it sound too simple, but it's instead of sending data from the browser to Facebook through the Pixel API, you're sending data from a server. So this could be a Shopify admin, like a Shopify webhook, sending data directly to Facebook through their conversion API. So essentially you're moving that activity out of the browser. So the activity is not constrained by ad blockers, JavaScript breaking on the front end, people you know, not lit waiting for the confirmation page to finish loading, which used to be an old thing that you would see in best practices. So all, there are all these little things that can happen in the browser that ultimately add up to that 20%. So server-side tracking is just saying, we don't care about the browser. We're just going to send that data directly from server A to Facebook, which that type of connection is, it's it's almost foolproof. I mean, because the when Facebook receives that request, 
they essentially have to give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down that they received that event and it was successful or if there are errors or warnings. So it's a forced response from Facebook. So you really know what's going on and if all of your tracking has been sent successfully. So that's the that's a general overview, overview on server-side tracking. I'll just give one, one more little tidbit on it is if I use the Pixel installed on a browser that's picking up IP address and all these other magical fin- fingerprinting uh, things about you, with server-side tracking, you have to be explicit. So you have to, in the request that you're sending to Facebook or the purchase you're sending to Facebook, you have to send and define, you know, whatever user data you want to send, if you want to send an IP address, if you want to send location, et cetera, you have to actually get that data and define it in that request that you're sending to Facebook. So it's explicit versus implicit. And the implicit is what the whole tracking industry has been forever. That's why it was pretty easy. We're just like copy and paste and we'll do all the, all the fingerprinting for you. That makes sense. And I guess a lot of people talk about optimizing that conversions API, like what can be done to get more uh, from it and kind of what other kind of events and um, yeah, different things can you do to get more insight alongside the conversion API? Yeah, I mean, there's two, two things that we've seen. Number one is ensuring that it's the conversion API is getting the maximum number of user, what Facebook calls advanced matching parameters. So this is your first name, last name, email, phone number, address, uh, the FBP cookie, the FPC cookie, the external ID. Uh, there's a there's a couple others, but that that's that number. That's the the magical number when you go to Events Manager and you see 8.6 out of 10, or 6.7 out of 10, or 3.3. You know the world's ending. What what's going on? So that 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 is number one. So with purchases. It you especially if you're using a server side setup, uh, you can you essentially have access to all of that customer data in the order. What is a little bit tricky is getting the FBP and the FBC cookie or any other data that generally lives in the browser. So attaching that to the order. So that's something that we've we built out over the last year or so is getting some of that. Uh, I don't want to use the word fingerprinting. That's essentially that's the word we use is getting some of that fingerprinting data that Facebook uses for their attribution, getting that attached to the server-side integration can, in theory, perform a little bit better than the conversion API that might be running through the browser. So that's number one, and that's something that we see. We've seen that perform well. So people had, if they were missing the external ID or missing phone number or missing the FPP or FPC cookie, which you'll never have have 100%, but you want to have as much as you can. But when we've seen brands that did not have that, and then they started receiving, Facebook started receiving that through our integration, then we would see their performance increase. The second part of where we see improving the, the output of Cappy is the world of shopping is moving outside of just an online store. So you have the Facebook shop, which is embedded in the Facebook app. You have the TikTok shop. You have post-purchase upsells. You have you know uh, embedded so sh- embedded shopping in different blogs or platforms, and just a host of different ways that customers can can purchase brands' products. And this is easily seen. You can just go to your Shopify analytics dashboard, go to the uh, sales by channel report, 
And more than likely, you won't see just one channel. You're not just going to see the online store channel. You're going to see a host of other channels that are there. It's very possible that if someone purchased something on one of these other channels that they were influenced by some sort of advertising and marketing. So getting that data to Facebook or any other channel is also a pretty critical piece that standard tracking that has been set up in the past would not catch. So that is another benefit of moving to a server-side tracking type is even if it's a small percentage, but getting that percentage of orders to not just Facebook, but other channels will ultimately help them not only with attribution of how you are performing, but think about your marketing audiences or any lookalikes. So you want to you want to try to boost that as much as you can, especially if those activities aren't happening on iOS devices. That makes sense. And I guess in the context of Elevar, so how are people using, or like, I think from my understanding, you're only working with Shopify at the moment. So in terms of Shopify brands, um, how are people getting the most out of the conversions API? Where does Elevar uh, come into this? Yeah, I mean, basically where brands are coming to Elevar is they don't trust their data, whether it's in Google Analytics or the data that Facebook, Google Ads, et cetera, are receiving. Uh, number two is they have some of those known issues where they know that they uh, some of the platforms are potentially not performing as well as they think they should. And number three is they, whether it's from their marketing team or potentially just self-education is realizing that moving uh, eventually, whether it's now or a year from now, two years from now, all tracking will eventually have to move server side just because you, whether it's privacy enabled to get explicit in what you're tracking or just to ensure accuracy, um, ultimately just getting a head start on, on getting their tracking. So they are tracking close to 100% for each channel and that's to help with their own analysis to make strategic decisions from. It's to help their just in-platform analysis. So again, doing their analysis in Google Ads, Facebook, et cetera, um, and also just making sure that they're maximizing their audience uh, audience capabilities within each platform. And I guess um, this might be a bit of a stupid question, but so I obviously run a company and half of it is paid media, but I'm very disconnected from that side and I'm not particularly great mm-hmm. with um, the tracking side of things. Um, but we obviously use Alibar a lot for... GA and kind of building out the data layer with Shopify. Um, technically, how does Elevar um, kind of improve upon this kind of stuff? Like, yeah, how how is it that Elevar is actually kind of optimizing the um, the conversion API? Yeah. And then equally, same point around GA as well. Yeah. So the two years ago, it was okay. There, it was a big maybe three years ago. I'm aging myself with again the COVID year. I kind of forget. Uh, but three, three to four years ago, the value prop was, okay, you want to, you have a mess of tracking some are hard coded in a theme. Some are injected through different manners and it's become somewhat, uh, somewhat of a pain in the butt to even know what's going on with tracking and it was impacting your site performance. So it was moving things to Google tag manager, uh, where you could simplify that process, just have one data layer that you can map everything to. So that's still a big part of what Elevar offers and the core of where just your base client side track uh, tracking can be configured where we've seen and, and started to push ourselves and our customers over the last couple of years is okay we if we know that tracking needs to go server side and we know that 
if we just talk Google Analytics, there's just an increase in direct traffic or just junk channels like organic, referral, coupon sites, et cetera. What, what can we do to try to combat that as we know that there's going to be an increased need in brands to use analytics to just understand a, from a broad, broad stroke of what's happening with the business? So where we really made a push is capturing all of that attribution data, storing it in our data layer, setting it on the Shopify session or Shopify object. So when I say attribution data, I'm talking things like all of your UTMs, your Facebook click IDs, your G click IDs, the impact radius click ID, TikTok click IDs, anything that these platforms need for attribution is storing all of that, setting it on the order. So all of these, all these purchase or conversion integrations can move server side and they, they won't miss out on have and being able to ultimately connect back to that session. So with Google Analytics specifically, something that if you were to just go into our app today is we even have a toggle to use a we use the term first touch versus last touch when you want to send an order to GA, but uh, the a little bit of a nuance with Shopify is they they do a pretty good job of storing different activities. So if you go to your Shopify order, you'll see the little widget on the right side that says this is the customer's sixth session until they made an order, and then you can click into that and see they first came to you through this link, and then they did these four things, and then they converted. So we we try to do is we try to capture, pull that data in, um, merge that with what we capture within our data layer, and then present that as an option that merchants can use. So they have more control over their, essentially their attribution and in universal analytics or Google analytics. And that that was a pretty big push last year as, again, Facebook became a little bit of a, not really, don't really know what's going on. Uh, so that I'll just pause there to see if I answer the question in terms of where we've been seeing that push of the transition from just a basic GTM data layer, get everything out of the theme for site speed, get everything in a GTM. Now it's into, okay, how can, how can Elevar help with attribution without being attribution software, like the North beams and rocker boxes, et cetera. But it's in our little world of conversion tracking and getting, getting that data that the platforms need that ultimately these different, uh, software providers also need because they're they're ingesting that data. That's maybe that's a good analogy. We we are pushing this data to the platforms. They're ingesting this different data to do their attribution magic to help merchants better understand where uh, where conversions are coming from. So it's almost like we're we're the you don't want to pull dirty data out. So that's why we're trying to really control that uh, clean data going into each platform. No, that makes that makes sense, and yeah, that definitely answered the question. I think the only thing I'd add is it turns a lot of things into configuration, um, which is always good. Um, so, next question. So, you obviously see a lot of issues when it comes to tracking, and a big focus of your product is on different levels of tracking. Um, what are the most common issues that you see, and what are like the most common things that you see break for clients? Oh, most common issues that we see, uh, duplicate conversions. So that's one, a duplicate tracking. So that could be as simple as just having tracking set up in GTM and a native Shopify app. So that's that's one. Same thing with Google Ads. So having a Google Shopping app installed and also having uh, the Google conver- conversion hard-coded in the thank you page. Incorrect product IDs, catalog, catalog IDs. So that's another one where you... It's again, it's kind of a pain in the butt just the way it, this is set up for from the merchant perspective. But 
you have, you have your catalog upload, just talking Google ads, but same thing for any platform, but your catalog upload through Merchant Center, and you have your primary identifier, you need to, need to make sure that your tag that's ultimately triggering and sending the different events, the page, page view, add to cart events, is sending that same product ID. So there's a match. So that's another big one. Uh, the missing conversions. So missing conversions is really, I wouldn't put that, put that in the top two or three issues. It's, is generally that happens, but missing conversions is a, if you're, let's, let's say you're just using, using the native Shopify integrations for GA, Facebook, Google ads, et cetera. In general, it does a pretty good job. You should be around 90 ish percent, 90 some are 95%, some are 85%, but in general, that's that's usually what we see in your de- your decision-making, depending on if you're a, uh, maybe in that one to $10 million uh, brand, your decision-making won't really change in Google Analytics from going from 90 to 99% in conversions, in my opinion. Once you're larger, then that, that could potentially, that could change, but uh, usually missing conversions is a big issue when we start talking about brands that are using recharge or any or post-purchase upsells, et cetera, where it's not as plug and play. So that's, that's usually uh, one of the big things that we see and big, big issues when it come or big issue that we see when it comes to tracking, but other, otherwise, yeah, I would say it's still many brands to still have that combination of some tracking installed on a theme, some installed on thank you page, some that's coming through GTM, some that's coming through apps. It ends up being a mishmash everywhere and uh, just causes a lot of pain uh, pain for the marketer really yeah that makes sense but yeah we've uh, over the years i've had various like um experience most of them but yeah the recharge one's been we've had various issues with like the external checkouts that's always been a bit of an annoying yeah. one to dissect um and i guess do you have any other tips for brands when it comes to particularly facebook but also ga like in terms of kind of identifying these issues earlier putting anything in place like is there anything people can do proactively to be more aware of tracking issues because it does feel like you know in most cases uh identified based on um you know changes in performance or changes in reporting um is there anything yeah. people can do to be more proactive yeah if we talk google i'll try to go i try to give examples of diying it and then other examples that are out there so with Google Analytics, there is a little known feature called alerts and universal analytics. I don't think this even exists in GA4, but you can set up custom alerts to just look at percentage changes of conversion rate, transactions, et cetera. Inside of Facebook, there are also, there's a custom alerts or notifications. You probably know this better than I do, the nomenclature, but same thing, you can set up rules to look for big spikes of activity, so it could be spikes in your CP, uh, CPAs or ROAS or whatever. I mean, it's it's almost unlimited what you can do with with the Facebook alerts and notifications. So that's another one that we've seen used in the past and try to encourage, especially around uh, the big holiday shopping season. There are, I mean, it's also very manual, so it's digging into your events manager. I mean, I know that we've seen that many marketers, marketing agencies do that over the years of. Part of their daily, weekly process is to go through manually and test the site and, and see if there's duplicate tracking going through. The downside of that is the pixel helpers aren't really the source of truth. So you everything could look right in a pixel helper, but it's really not right uh, in the diagnostics inside of each platform. So that's not always foolproof, foolproof uh, per se. There is There are tools out there like Pingdom. 
So something you can do with Pingdom is you can do uh, synthetic testing. It is a little bit more technical, but you can create these rules to have a bot go through the site and, and validate different data or things that should happen. I mean, what we've done, so we, in part of our quarterly reviews, I would take all the screenshots that would come in from customers. This is going back 2018, 2019, but where they would, again, be they would send us emails like, hey, we noticed this event dropped off or this started duplicating and we didn't have a solve for it back then. We we could solve for data layer errors where like revenue is undefined or things like that. That was in our, our data layer error monitoring. So what we ended up uh, building in was what we call channel accuracy monitoring. So that's that this was really only enabled with a move to server-side tracking. So essentially what we're doing is inside a, our dashboard is you have your channel and you'd have your, if we just look at Facebook and we can look at how many orders you had in the last 24 hours or hour by hour, seven days, 30 days. So let's say if we saw a thousand orders in Shopify that you had yesterday or today, and then we're looking at how many orders were sent to Facebook and successfully received without errors. And then that's where we quantify it. So that's really our value proposition. If you go to our homepage, it's we guarantee 95% of conversions are sent to each channel. And we can quantify it because we can, again, going back to how server-side tracking works is when you send a, uh, an event to the conversion API, these platforms have to give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So we log that. We log that thumbs up, thumbs down, and simply compare. So if you drop, so if you drop, go below 95% or go above 105%, then that triggers an alert and we'll say, hey, Paul, your Facebook uh, conversion tracking is at 150%. There's probably an issue there of some sort of duplicate tracking happening, but there's a, yeah, it's a, it's a great question and something that there might be other solutions out there, but for the most part, I know it's still a very manual process for most. What is Ampliance? In a word, it's freedom. The freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision. Create, preview, schedule, and manage all your content in one easy place. Find out more at Ampliance.com. Ampliance. Experience freedom. No, it makes sense. And it's, uh, it's interesting how much you've shifted into this space because obviously I've known you more for the GA side over the years and various things you've yeah. written or even when we first met. Um, but it is interesting that obviously people are willing to invest in this area because everyone's kind of increasing spend and, you know, seeing challenges with these uh, channels. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. I, think, I can imagine, you know, it's been a big area for you. Um, just going back to the cookies piece and some of the changes that we've seen there and with all the new kind of privacy um, issues, um, how do you see this impact in the CRM side? Because obviously a lot of the CRM or kind of ESPs um, will be tracking behavior on site using cookies. Like, what's your view on this? Like, is this something that you think, you know, they're starting to look at the server side route, but is it a case of actually over time it's, it's going to really impact that side? We believe that brands eventually are going to, the responsibility will be on the brand to create their own identification and, and tracking that. And that goes, it goes for GA or potentially CRMs, et cetera. If users, if people are using Clavio, that obviously they're, they're very aware, cognizant of this issue as well, especially with the, the quote unquote hide my emails. But in general, I think that's our, without getting too deep in the weeds, we believe that 
you won't be able to just rely on the quote unquote cookie identifier that GA or other platforms create automatically for you. So there needs to be a fallback. Now, whether you use a piece of software to help you manage that, that user identification that's anonymous and can't initially be tracked to a, back to a user, depending on your privacy requirements, or you do it yourself, you build it in house yourself, that that's likely going to be something that many brands will start to undertake over the next couple of years. And they'll be, they'll also have to work very closely with the, their data science team. Not that everyone has a data science team per se. So it could be if you are using uh, an attribution uh, solution, like again, the rocker boxes, North beams, et cetera, they'll, you, and they're essentially your, your data warehouse where you're going in to do your analysis is just making sure that you have things lined up appropriately. So when they're they're doing their merging and, and even Dacity too, like I know Dacity does a lot of this of just blending data from different sources is making sure that you have the right identifiers that um, you can anchor off of. That makes sense. But uh, uh, yeah, Clay, Clavio, I don't I don't know if, if what they're or or any plat any email platform and if we go get to the world where there's no you don't know the actual email so you don't know it's Paul yeah. or it's just a it's an anonymous string. Does it really matter? That's the other thing I would ask is, do they really need to know what's Paul? Yeah, if they've got what do you think? Identify. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I guess as long as um, they're able to tie the behavior together, like, it doesn't really matter, does it? No, where where that would break is, if it doesn't matter to Clavio, because you, you or your, your, your CRM in general, but if you just want to see their lifetime activity and what products that this quote unquote users viewed and what they purchased and all that, that's probably fine and not a big issue. It'll, it's an issue from probably user research and other things like that, where, like you said, that is an issue is for platforms that want the email in order to, to do the matchback. Because if we're sending Facebook or Snapchat or TikTok, the, you know, random Apple mail string, they're not going to be able to use that to to match back to their yeah. campaign that's where they're going to need some of their identifiers so tiktok has this uh tt click id so it's we're almost going back 15 years 20 years in the marketing space where ensuring that every session every query parameter that is on an inbound link it you you can't like you literally can't lose that and it, that has to be sent has to be like a spider web sent to all of your different analytics and marketing platforms yeah and i guess you lose the ability to do cross device and all of that kind of stuff um if there's no like because i guess most platforms at the moment would tie the entry of an email back to like combining different devices um so yeah unless i'm being really stupid i can't see a way of um yeah that. well yeah go on go on Brad. <laughs> yeah i was gonna say the the cross device there's two Two ways to look at it. One, if if users logging in and you you are quote unquote requ uh, requiring a login, you can start to do some across yeah, device. But there are platforms out there that they'll they'll embed links. So if they're driving, whether it's through SMS or email, and again they're setting their own query parameters on a links, yeah. and that's how they're able to essentially stitch that activity back. So they can say, oh well, Paul, we know that we know the email that or the email link that Paul clicked on last week. And we know the emails that he clicked on since then. And you know they can start to do some of that stitching together where you don't have to necessarily be logged in. But again, it all comes back to uh, just 
link. It comes back to links. Yeah. Just linking the links together. <laughs> yeah. And there's definitely, uh, definitely some room to lose some data there where it's still, cause like our average client definitely wouldn't have a high percentage of users logging in our average kind of like premium fashion brand, I guess. Um, and they would rely a lot on stitching people's behavior together across different devices based on email entry. So yeah, I guess, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, but I, and I guess that takes on to the next question. I think that's going to change. I, 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 Everlane was one, I don't know if you recall, but five ish, four or five ish years ago, they were one of the brands. If you, if you came into their product page, they presented their product page. It was actually pretty slick where they were, it looked like you needed to log yeah, in in order to add to cart. They don't, they don't do it anymore, but I do believe that is going to be something that will happen in the future. And it could be simple as you add to cart and then you're prompted with a like, Hey, do you want to enter your email to you know get this coupon or, or proceed or whatever it might be? I don't, it's not going to be as rigid as the old Magento days where it's like yeah. you, hit the, you hit the checkout and it's like, create your account right now. I don't think it's, it'll be as rigid as that. I think it'll yeah. be obviously a more seamless user experience, but that that's going to, it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Or even like, I guess all these single sign on solutions, everything else just like pushing. Yeah. Some level. Of yeah, exactly. No, that makes yeah. sense. And, um, and I guess we've touched on some of it there, I would imagine, but last question, like how do you think, you know, all of this is going to change. Um, you know, like what is the future? Like, is it a case of brands taking more ownership of this stuff? Um, yeah, like what what do you think the the next maybe two or three years has in store from a tracking perspective and kind of data um, perspective? Yeah, brands. There'll be an increased responsibility for brands to own their uh, just tracking infrastructure, whether it's again, that unique identifier and making sure that's, that's track. That's actually set and tracked for all activity Two, I do believe that the, the login is going to be another one. And part of that is, especially if you are in Europe or potentially some of these States in the U S that are starting to roll out more strict privacy is if you can't, if, I mean, that's the other thing we can talk about is privacy is there is the, if you, if people don't opt in, then there's no tracking whatsoever, or it's very limited. So that is going to, I mean, if you look at newspapers and some of the, the old media companies where they've, they've had to go to this route of, you need to create your account or pay. I, I think we're not too far away from that happening with e-commerce as well. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because users are potentially used to doing that, or many users are used to doing that on apps and phones and the like the OAuth logins with hotels.com or whatever it might be. So as long as it's very seamless and potentially is tied to the value prop. So it could be instead of getting the welcome banner as soon as you just land on a site, which most people it's it's kind of like people are numb to it now and they just close it out. Anyways, I mean, not everyone, but I think you can you'll start to see just some user experiences change where you, you are encouraging users to quote unquote uh, log in to create their account. Because then you can you can run them through, have them the whole privacy process uh, enabled, and uh, and also unlock somebody's tracking uh, tracking pain points. So those are those are probably the two biggest ones. The I already mentioned the server side. It's not just the Facebook was the earliest in pushing conversion API because the signal loss was impacting them the most as a big public company. But that same the same constraints and friction they were experiencing every app experiences. Right now TikTok is on the 
you know, they're just exploding with the organic. And again, TikTok is, you don't need to have a ton of followers. You just need to have interests that you follow. So there's just different, there's a different way to explore and discover as a user. But uh, eventually once there's big dollars invested into TikTok spend for brands, again, that, that spend will come under, uh, whatever the word is, people are going to, they'll, they'll want to, they'll be asking the same questions to TikTok that they are with Facebook today. Yeah. So again, they're going to, they're going to hit those, those privacy or the tracking constraints. Yeah. Yeah. makes sense. Super interesting. It'd be, uh, yeah. Interesting to see how it all kind of unfolds. Um, great. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, that was a really good episode. It's my last question. Um, really appreciate you coming on some really interesting topics. There. I think I need to get a lot better with some of these areas. Like people always tend to ask me about the Facebook stuff, but I always defer them to other people because I just not spent yeah. enough time looking at it, but yeah, re- really interesting. Um, is there anything else that you want to add or, or how can people get, um, get in touch with you as well? if they've got any questions yeah one thing i would add is don't sleep on ga4 and getting that set up so you have the year over year once that july date kicks in and i also don't uh don't get don't when you first log into ga4 it's overwhelming because it looks nothing like what you're used to but there is a very hidden feature right now that We've only explored a little bit, I think, as a as an industry, and that's the ability to modify your default attribution. So you no longer have to be tied to GA's last click. You can use their data-driven attribution model. You can default all of, all of your reports to a first touch. And if you empower that with Google Signals, which is their way to help some of that the magical cross-device fingerprinting since everyone's logged in on a Google device, there is, I think, some of that, some of the, the GA4 functionality that we'll start to hear more and more benefits uh, as as more brands just spend more time in there. But I think that's probably one of the more interesting things about GA4 that I'm excited to see how brands utilize that and, and potentially compare and contrast to what they're they're seeing in some of their other tooling that they utilize. So that's the GA4 side, just as a last thought. Uh, any, if anyone has any questions, you can email me, brad at getelevar.com. Dot com and that is g-e-t-e-l-e-v as in victor a-r lovely great thank you and um yeah thanks everyone for listening and as always um feel free to listen on the main channels and all you can watch on youtube um and yeah give us a like or a follow lovely for more information on this topic head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.